It's me, David Webb, and here's a highlight from today's show on Sirius XM Patriot. There's more news coming out uh, out of the, the tragedy in Uvalde, Texas. The, the time the officers were there on site, uh, differing reports from what was initially uh, told to officials. So that investigation is going to continue for some time. Uh, you know, after that and in the aftermath, there was a lot of talk in the world of politics uh, about what could be done, should be done, uh, who should do it, uh, what school safety measures uh, should look like. And I won't see every single comment or proposal by a politician. None of us will. But yet one of the best proposals uh, or ideas uh, in part for school safety came from one of the callers on this show who talked about a station with biometric access only for properly trained individuals uh, and different levels of response, be it uh, notification, uh, taser, even uh, weapons where necessary. Politicians, by and large, from what I've seen, uh, will put out plans, talk a lot, but what can actually be put in place And who should be responsible is the discussion that they rarely go into great detail about. Jonathan Butchers, a Will Skillman Fellow in Education at the Heritage Foundation, and he joins me now. Jonathan, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Great to be with you. So, Jonathan, no surprise, right after this happens, and unfortunately after a a mass shooting event, uh, we hear the typical calls of uh, gun control. Uh, Then we see the next levels of investigation. Uvalde certainly has a a lot to be investigated, response, actions, uh, choices, so much more to that. But then it went immediately to the federal level, Uh, And when you have a national event, you're going to have national political interest. So what did you hear out of the Biden administration uh, and to what extent are you concerned? Well, no specifics. And that was the concern. Uh, I think that when the coverage of the president's visit to the Uvalde area during the week when some of the funerals were held, he didn't have specific comments about either school safety nor specific suggestions for what to do about uh, the Second Amendment. So I think what's really going on here, we have to look back to what the federal government released after the Parkland disaster uh, several years ago. And they went around the country and put together a report with recommendations and ideas from law enforcement, school resource officers, counselors, teachers, parents, and and put together, you know, this this document that's really kind of a compendium of great ideas from what schools are doing around the U.S. to, to deal with school safety. OK, let's look at Parkland as the example of how they acted. You're, you're correct in that sense. Uh, they took input. They did all of this. What they didn't address uh, and on correct me if you caught it and I did not. I went to Parkland. I sat in on uh, their public meetings twice. I followed it closely. And what was not addressed were the consent decree 
in that case, the consent decree in place in Parkland, but what's in place in many districts around the country when it comes to identifying someone much different from the, quote, red flag discussion alone, but identifying someone who may be problematic. And here again, the consent decrees are absent from the from the conversation, but they were used to force some form of agenda from the Obama-Biden years forward. Well, yes, and I think one of the big things that's missing uh, in, in some of the conversations about what's happened in these really tragic events is that there needs to be consistent follow-up from parents, law enforcement, and school officials when you have a student who's exhibiting the behaviors that we really should um, uh, suspect are, are indicators, right, of um, uh, the, the willingness to commit self-harm and harm to others. Um, you know, I think that to the extent that schools can at all help with cases where there's the, been a disintegration of the family or there's been a non-intact family that um, has created, you know, stress for a child, um, we really do need schools to be ready to, to step in. And that, that's what was missing uh, in Parkland, and I think based on you know the early returns from what we're hearing in Uvalde, something very similar was going on there. The the question also comes into play: uh, who or what level agency should be involved? And you know the country, as we both know, is got many variances. The communities are different. Risk assessments are different. Uh, you know, it's just the way it is. And now the federal government versus local officials becomes part of the question. Now, to be also fully candid about this, there are areas where local officials are not capable. And we've seen that all too often over the recent years and decades with problems in schools, that the local officials are part of the problem. Uh, Should it be the federal government uh, with regulatory uh, authority? Should it be local officials? What should it be? Well, I think the officials who are closest to the family. So Washington cannot possibly have... Um, enough people in the Office of Civil Rights or the U.S. Department of Education that would be able really to monitor, um, you know, what's happening in local school systems. I mean, they tried with the Common Core. They tried with principal teacher evaluation several years ago. Uh, They tried with school discipline, obviously, several years ago in 2014 with the Dear Colleague letter. I mean, Washington won't be able to do it. Uh, I don't think even at the state level, state departments of education are not designed to monitor what's happening with local families. I mean, they're, they're really just a pass-through for, you know, money and making sure that schools follow federal and state regulations. Um, and I think we really shouldn't even be asking local schools, assigned schools, to take on more responsibilities because, I mean, look, by and large, they've demonstrated that they struggle to help students of different degrees of um, uh, skill so that they can be successful, right? I guess that's a long way of saying that there are significant gaps between students from different backgrounds today, and the assigned school system has not been able to close those gaps. So I think it is, uh, we really have to recognize that there are significant areas in the private sector from 
churches to um, community groups to boys and girls clubs to um, any number of, um, I think, privately uh, operated and put together groups uh, that can help uh, when we see uh, incidents of, of uh, non-intact families becoming an issue for, um, uh, you know, for a community. Let's look at the, the statistics, the, the definitions being a part of this uh, and the public narrative, Jonathan. The public narrative when these events occur and that you hear uh, primarily from the left uh, is that these are almost daily occurrences. You would get that impression, mass shootings, mass school shootings. The numbers and statistics vastly different in what is considered a uh, and defined as a mass shooting, a mass school shooting uh, versus just a shooting and, and even what happens and what's considered in the number. Fact is, there have not been, you know, 20 plus school shoot mass school shootings this year. There are events in school yards that are counted and there's so many ways they do this. So if the statistics and the numbers don't back up the narrative, is this really just politics? Well, I think that's a lot of it, right? I mean, you have to remember public schools are the point at which you have culture and um, public policy sort of intersecting, right? Because we're using tax dollars to prepare the next generation to be contributing members of society. So politics is always going to be a part of it. Uh, so we shouldn't expect that politics will be absent from um, uh, our public school system, right? I don't, I don't think that that's ever going to happen. Uh, I think what we should, though, is uh, be ready to call on schools to um, represent the values of the communities in which they reside. And so why, when we see curriculum that includes ideas from critical race theory, from critical gender theory, um, these are ideas that are so contrary to our founding ideas of freedom and opportunity, equality under the law, that you know, you're going to see families you know, resist and, and, and parents go and speak at school board meetings, say, hey, this doesn't represent us. Uh, I think, you know, on this question of, um, you know, intact families and, and what we need young people to know, um, I think that schools really should be doing more to teach what's known as the success sequence. And that's the idea that if you finish high school, uh, enter the workforce, and get married before you have children, you are far, far less likely to wind up in poverty than those who don't follow this um, uh, this strategy. And so um, that, you know, these are the kinds of, of values we should be passing on to young people. You know, look, all the things you mentioned are important to the person, but yet it's overridden by uh, <laughs> the public lie, if you will. Uh, and when you add to that, again, I'm a numbers guy, you've got failing graduation rates, you have matriculation processes to get children out of schools and claim that that is a graduation rate versus a true education assessment. That's a problem, especially in many of the, well, it's across the country, but it's really prevalent in many of the more urban areas of the country. So the politicians play games with this. The numbers don't add up. How do we punch through a public lie 
to work on these these situations in schools, not just the mass shootings, but to get to the point of real education for children rather than a functionally or a growing, uh, unfortunately, growing functionally illiterate population? Well, I think for one is allowing families to choose a different school or learning environment when they are not satisfied with where their children uh, child has been assigned. And, you know, this is a, a big deal, right, because parents are watching very closely what's being taught, especially in the past few years, right? I mean, all the news about how ideas about um, racial differences and identity politics have penetrated the, um, the school curriculum is very important. The, the idea that schools are actually hiding information about a child from their parents, um, there's clear evidence that this is happening both in terms of what's being taught as well as um, health issues about a child coming to school and wanting to assume a different gender and schools actually hiding that information from families. So all of these things set up a, 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 um, a clear need for parents to be able to choose a different option. So that's, so that's one. I mean, but we can't leave the public school system, you know, alone, right? I mean, we're not saying we should abandon the public school system. What we should do, though, is have the right requirements in place so that discrimination and radical gender ideology are not taught um, to are not taught uh, not taught and not applied to uh, for young people. So, for example, these mandatory affinity groups that we find in schools in Evanston, Illinois, Wellesley, Massachusetts. Um, and other places where students are actually separated according to skin color for different activities. I mean, that's a a violation of uh, the Civil Rights Act. Um, You know, that kind of discriminatory behavior and activity should not be applied uh, to school systems. Um, I explained some of this in my book, uh, Splintered Critical Race Theory and the Progressive War on Truth. Um, And so there are state policies that we can turn to. Uh, One of them would be to say that no individual should be compelled or forced to believe or affirm any idea that violates the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And uh, there are examples from Florida, Georgia, Mississippi, South Dakota, Virginia, and elsewhere that have used similar language to this. Uh, and that will protect students from racial discrimination. And that's that is what critical race theory is really driving. And that is what parents are rejecting and reacting to when they go to a school board and say, hey, you know, what you're teaching doesn't represent um, uh, my values or the values of my community. My guest, Jonathan Butcher, Will Skillman, fellow in education at Heritage, uh, Virginia. Primaries are underway today. That was the uh, canary in the coal mine for many, Loudoun County, others. Uh, but the, the far left, the critical race theorists, teachers, the woke curriculum, uh, they didn't leave Virginia. They didn't go away. Matter of fact, in many cases, they doubled down on their efforts. We're talking about proficiency in part. And by some assessments, uh, in one case, more than 60% of the kids in Virginia at the third and the eighth grade level aren't proficient in reading or in math. This while they continue to push woke curriculum, inclusion of these uh, outrageous books in libraries, and it's not officially on the curriculum, but it's done in the way they teach in class. Uh, So this battle is not over. Matter of fact, right now this battle needs to be joined even more. 
Yeah, without question. And I, I think that uh, lawmakers need to be aware that these radical, both gender and racial ideas, they are not simply talking about a reteaching of American history or making sure that students talk about you know, slavery in the Jim Crow era when they're in school. That's, that's not what critical race theory is trying to do. Critical race theory, by the own admission of those that designed this theory, say that both conservatives and liberals in the 1960s and 70s were not radical enough. And they say that they were still trying to interpret American law within the confines of American law. But um, that is the wrong way to deal with what they call and still today call systemic racism in the United States, which, of course, is a uh, exactly what the Civil Rights Act of 1964 said was illegal. Discrimination is illegal, as well as the civil rights movement. And, you know, all of this still is connected to this question of safety and school safety, because when the uh, Parkland tragedy happened, the policy that was in place at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School and in Broward County, Florida, was a policy that said that individuals should be disciplined differently according to their race. If their skin color, um, if they were uh, if there were higher ratios of students who face suspension or expulsion based on their skin color, then the Office of Civil Rights from Washington would go and investigate. And uh, that is clearly a race-based policy. And so um, while we don't have evidence that this same policy was in place or that the same situation was going on in Uval, Texas, we do have this issue of how Washington um, can uh, really micromanage uh, local school policies to to really uh, terrible effects. And then when disaster does strike, we do not have evidence that Washington has the tools, resources, or answers to help local people, uh, local communities deal with the effects of such a tragedy and prevent the next one. Yeah. It'll be interesting in many ways to see what the next a uh, couple of weeks of the political cycle plays out till the next uh, or plays out like till the next story takes over. But for now, the politicians are heavily involved and the solutions are not always being enacted. Virginia will be interesting to watch today, Jonathan, with the primary races, uh, the issues the voters are going to the polls on, uh, because many stood up, not just Republicans, against the wokeness and the the critical race theory, an outright assault on children. Yes, w- without question. I mean, I think that we're going to see it in um, the in the fall as well. I mean, I think parents clearly uh, uh, made education an issue last year when voters went to the polls. Um, and I would expect again um, uh, to see something similar. Um, and I, I think, you know, as the Biden administration continues to spread this ideology, which they have, I mean, they've they've released executive orders saying very clearly that uh, they have racially focused policies in mind, um, that it will be up to state lawmakers to prevent all children, no matter their background, from facing prejudice in school. We will see what they do, but parents... Wake up and pay attention and take action. Jonathan Butcher, always a pleasure, Jonathan. Thank you. Thank you. You can join me live on The David Webb Show, Monday to Friday, 9 to noon east, on Sirius XM Patriot 125.